So today's date is June 24th, 2018. Our message is titled, Alive. Alive. This morning, we are going to come alive in His presence. We are going to be active, and we will be elevated. Our Lord is risen. He is resurrected, and His power is rising in this room even now. Was that not a powerful worship service? The presence of God is amongst us, and it changes who we are. Our mission this morning is to lead you free, equipped, and armed with God-given tools to accomplish the good works which were prepared in advance for you to do. I want to set you at ease this morning to start off with. We're going to teach on three convictions, and those convictions are found in the Law of Prophets and Writings. I'm even going to give them to you in advance so that you can write them down. I want you to be able to fully engage with me this morning and not be concerned about notes. Let me show that slide for a minute. So we have 1 Samuel 22 from the prophets being our first conviction. Joshua 14, 6 from the right, that's prophet, being our second conviction. And then we have in agreement with it, out of the writings, Second Chronicles 14. Then we have 1 Corinthians 15 being our third conviction. And then in agreement with it, Deuteronomy 28, out of the law. So we're going to have three principles that are going to come from Samuel, from Joshua, from Corinthians. And those three principles can be found in the law of prophets and writings throughout the Older and Newer Testament. And we're going to demonstrate some of that today. But I wanted you to have something to start with. Because we're going to go into depth on each of these passages. We're going to preach. We're going to interact together. We're going to have a good time this morning. Say there when you got it written. Come on, Rob. We're waiting on you. I love you guys. You're my family. Our church is doing damage to the enemy. And because of that, we've experienced some trials. We've had some hardships. But we really are coming alive. We are just beginning. We are just beginning to set the tone for what we are going to do in the kingdom and the damage that we're going to deal to our enemy. He is unifying us. He is straightening us out. Like Damascus steel, he is folding us over again and again. And he's interlocking different People, different mixtures, but he's making us stronger and he's binding us together. Everybody there? All right. Let's go to our first passage today in 1 Samuel 22. While you guys turn there, we're going to pray for just a minute. So Jesus, I thank you for my family. Lord, the men and women in this room that I have grown up with, that I live with, that I stand with. Lord, we ask that your spirit might blow amongst us right now. Lord, that you would move in our midst, that there would not be one man, not one woman, not one child that leaves untouched. Lord, that through your perfect word and your perfect scripture and a flawed and vexed man like me, that you might speak your truth this morning. Lord, that your power would race through us. Lord, that you would carry me along like the prophets of old who spoke your word and not their own. He says, we want you. We want your power to be displayed amongst us and we are not satisfied with just going through a routine. Come and move in this place, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So it's 1 Samuel 22, 1. David left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Say, down to him. him. Next verse. So 22, 3. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. And about 400 men were with him. So we're going to read it all together again. David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Abdullam. When his, father, or his brother and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Say down to him there. Down. So David is fleeing. He is running. He is trying to survive the call that God has placed on his life and the opposition that he's receiving. And where does he go? Down to a cave. Where did these guys have to go to follow David? 
down. See, the King of Kings has always been calling men to a life that doesn't look as glorious as they might like. David here represents a type of Christ that is an example in the Old Testament of what our returning king, the son of David, will be like. That son of David that comes from the lion of tribe of Judah, he's persecuted. He was afflicted. And he wasn't king on this day, although God had declared it. But there was a day coming that David would be king. And you see that his brothers and his father's household, they're rallying to him. And where do they have to meet up with him? In a cave? Down there. You say that out of the places you want to live and sleep. And a cave down there is not one of them, right? So as they go down there to meet with the king of kings into a cave, we begin to see that more are added and something happens here. In verse 22 it says, All those who are in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. And you talk about Misfit Island. I am a leader designed by God. And who I'm a leader of is the distressed, the discontented, those who are in debt and owe people money. And I, I'm your commander. See, but I was reading this passage and I began to realize something. That our king is so much like this. That he is willing to gather men like me, men like you, who are in distress, who are in debt who have all kinds of problems in this world and gather you to him so that he can become your leader. Who in this room got born again in a perfect state in life? Somebody? Who was a little, little distressed when you got born again? Got a, somebody in the room? Some of you may have even owed some money. You may have been discontented. And yet Christ still became your leader, didn't he? When I was reading this, something in it began to stir in my soul. About the way that Christ takes men who are distressed, discontent, indebted, who are hiding out, and He makes them into something more. If we look at First Chronicles 12, and we will in just a minute, there's this list that uh, some of these guys love to read it over and over again. So in this list, it's going to tell you about who David's mighty fighting men were. Is that familiar with anyone? You know who David's mighty fighting men were? So we have guys like Shammah who picked up ox goads and struck down entire armies while the rest of the men fled. Men who gathered around this son of David that had extraordinary exploits. You've heard messages about Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, who killed a lion on a snowy day, who struck down an Egyptian that was seven feet tall. These men were mighty fighting men that surrounded David. Doesn't this sound a little bit like we've had some kind of progression here? So early on in David's call and in his life, we're in 1 Samuel 22. We have this man who's called to be a king, who is in the tribe of Judah and is about to initiate a dynasty that eventually would produce Christ himself in the flesh. And he is surrounded by the distressed, the indebted, the discontent. And that is who he is leader of. And yet, you know the end of the story. That that is not how he finishes his life. Surrounded. He's surrounded by the mightiest men that we have ever heard about or read about. Mighty fighting men that struck down armies, that defended the weak, that fought for the causes of God. I want to suggest to you this morning that there's a process here that takes place just like in Christ that took place in David's life. When men were willing to rally to him, even when he was in a cave, even when they had to go down to where he was at, he was willing to work with them. He was willing to be their leader. He was willing to work with you when you were desperate. That he was willing to take a man like John when he had destroyed everything in his life and say, I will lead you. And we see a transforming process that as men who walk with a king and he becomes Not their Savior, not their Lord in the distance, but their everyday, present leader. It transforms who they are. This is something that has stirred my soul. This particular passage affects the way that I do ministry. My desire to preach. My desire to live a godly life that shines into people. It's part of one of the functions of our family. 
is to take those who are distressed, who are discontent, who are not where they want to be in life, but willing to try and work to teach them to become mighty men. Can anybody in the room empathize with that? Has God been working inside of your life to turn you into something more than when you started? See, in 1 Samuel here, we have an example of what it means to follow a king who has not been accepted by all yet. (laughs) Who still has opposition on this earth. They might even have Islamic hordes and armies that hate him. Might even have people who are resistant to his message everywhere on the planet. And to be willing to lose your life to see his message advanced. You see, these guys, when they came to David, this was a really, really unpopular decision. When we're speaking in 1 Samuel 22, he's on the run. We're not even speaking about like he's little known or it's a small church that nobody knows about. We mean this, this guy is being hunted down. So when we're speaking about following that king, the place that these men were reduced to was a place where they were not only willing to make some guy hiding in a cave their leader because they trusted him, they were willing to be hunted like he was being hunted. They were willing to be crucified if he was crucified. If he was caught, if he lost a battle. Do you know who died with David? Who died with David if he was caught? Those men. The starting place of the gospel, the starting place of discipleship, of a born-again experience for every man, woman, and child is that moment of desperation when you are willing to follow a king no matter what it costs you. No matter where it is, whether it's down in a pit, whether it's on the run, whether it's being hunted, whether it crucifies all of your friends and family and the attachments that you've previously had, the starting place of a born-again experience and the starting place of discipleship is that you assume the King of Kings is your Lord and your commander. But what He will do with men like that is He'll take you in your distressed, broken state and He'll turn you into a mighty man. See, David had a knack for breaking men out of their ruts that they were unable to get out of themselves. See, all of their own efforts in their life landed them in more distress and more of a discontent state. Does anybody in the room say that after being born again, you've had some moments where you were distressed, you're in a bad state, maybe even a rut that you're struggling to break out of? Yeah, me too. What this son of David does is he liberates men from their own low expectations, their own failings and trappings, and he teaches them how to be more than they were. See, this represents the heart of this ministry. This represents the heart of our God. And this personally was the first thing that God ever spoke to me as a function. You guys remember your mezuzah statements? That we are to look into men's lives that are distressed, that are discontent, that are beat up and broken by the world. And if they're willing to give up everything, stand with them. Teach them, lead them, fight for them, hand, tooth, and nail, even if it costs you your own life to see them turn into what God has called them to because He is able to take men like that and produce something holy and righteous that is powerful, that is effective, and looks nothing like it did before. You've all heard an example of what a diamond, how it's formed. When we're speaking about men of God, when we're speaking about Damascus steel, the things that we're hearing in these sermons... What it is, is that God is looking to take you in your distressed and discontent state and turn you into something that is mighty, something that is lion-like. But I'm going to tell you a secret. This isn't just the day that you were born again. (laughs) Just like you get filled with the Holy Ghost once and you're praying and God refills you and refills you and refills you, you will come to many places if you're striving after the Lord well, you're at your wit's end again. You know, but he is faithful to stick us back in the forge. He is faithful to start back in the cave of Abdullah with us. He is faithful to come back down to right where Daniel is at, to right where Mario is at, where Brandon is at, and say, we've made some good progress, son. We've made some good progress, daughter. But it's time for us to go through another reshaping because I have big plans for you. Amen. Because I love you. 
because I know what you can be, because I see potential in your eyes. Church, I want to tell you this morning, before we get into the rest of this message, that I love you, that I can see potential in your eyes, that the reason that we are what we are, that I am what I am, is because I believe that God will take the men and women that are in this room and make them mighty. He will turn them in to men and women that shake nations, that raise up families that have godly children that go on to shake nations. That in every area of life, that this room has the potential to be fruitful, but 30, 60, and 100 fold fruitful. That He's going to continue to work us. That in the areas that you are in distress, that you are trying to figure out how to apply the Word to your life, that you're trying to figure out how to lead your home, how you how you are going to accomplish what He called you to, that He's going to take that distress, that He's going to work inside of your heart and turn you over and over and over again until He produces something that is mighty, that is called, that understands its purpose, its function in life, and that you are set free and filled with power to accomplish it. Is that what you want? Yes! Let's look at our next scripture. So from 1 Samuel 22... We're going to take a look at Joshua 14. There's a few guys in the church that like this one. Take a look at verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. Say 40 years old. 40 years old. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Say my convictions. My convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, that of your children forever and ever, because you have followed the Lord God wholeheartedly. (laughs) We're going to keep going in this passage, but you have to envision here, Joshua 14 is after they've entered the promised land, and after the 40 years of wandering in the desert. So he's recounting 40 years ago the promise that God made to him. And he's reminding his old friend, God promised it, and I intend to still do it. And I'm sure he's not harboring bitterness, but he does seem to still be a little touchy 40 years later about them melting with fear and him having to sit in a desert for 40 years. Can you imagine that, church? Now put yourself in the shoes of somebody who hears from God what they're called to do, and yet you feel like the faithless defections of people around you are affecting the ministry. See, it can be a bit of a difficult thing to handle. And yet, God's promises are sure. They're sure. And if we follow Him wholeheartedly, He will bring us through any desert. No matter how large, no matter how difficult, no matter how adverse it is, the promise that He made to you if you were wholehearted, if you were faithful to the men that He's called you to work with, to the place that He's called you to be, He will bring it about. I want to remind you that losses, that faithless defections, that man's unrighteousness has no power to stop God's plan in your life. It can't stop it. It can't keep you from doing what you were called to do. Now, it might make it more difficult for a little while. It might work some more character and some more steel into your soul. But in the end... God is going to bring you where you need to be. And if we remain wholehearted, we're going to see victory as we progress in this. We're going to have to learn to look at deserts like they're forging us. Have to look at defections like God is reminding us of the sacredness of the call. Losses like we are dangerous to the enemy. And that reverse validation, praise God, is at work in our life. The things these men experienced and the reason that he was in a desert for 40 years is because his call was real. Say it with me, real. real. If you have some kind of fanciful calling, if you have some idea about what you're supposed to do, 
and it is miraculously easy at every turn, and you're just so supernaturally gifted for it, and there is no adversity, I assure you, you got something wrong. That the life of Christ, the life of Joshua, the life of Caleb, the life of everyone who was faithful in the Word of God was difficult. You know what a godly desire is? To produce righteous children and to fight for it. You know what a godly desire is? To shine brightly in a world that is dark. Not play nice with it. Not find a way to make it seeker sensitive. But one is difficult and the other is easy. And if we're looking at Lynn's lives over 10, 20, 30, or 40 years, years that were faithful were the ones that were willing to go through a desert, not floating around with what seemed best to them in the moment. Genuinely, God has really spoken maybe three or four times in a man's life in a way that can be tested for decades. We are often operating on what we think we heard. We feel like He is leading us to. But when God has spoken something and He has testified to it again and again and again about where you are called to, what you are called to do, what your function in your mezuzah is, that is one of those things that cannot move. That no matter what, you don't give up on it. You don't let go of it. And if you can hold on to that, the purpose that He put you on the earth, and you give Him your wholehearted effort every day, I promise He'll make up for some mistakes. He will shape you. He will work you. He will make you into the man that you were supposed to be when you come out on the other side of this. God is working our church saints. He is reminding us of what we were called for, what we are made to do. And He's allowing us to go through some desert time. He's allowing for some who are unfaithful to die off. And for others who are distracted, who've gone astray and don't quite know where they're supposed to be anymore. Time to figure out what they're supposed to be doing. Because when we get out of this desert, do you know where we're going? We're going into the promised land. We are going into the promised land as a body. We're going into the promised land as a family. We are not just some corporate structure. See, I have a bit of a unique perspective. I was here when every one of you came. There's not one soul in the room that I was not here when you got here. And I was there when many more that are in this room left. And I've seen many go on in righteousness and strength and go do amazing things across the world that were supposed to leave because they were being sent out. Almost every time I preach, every time that I share with you, I speak about warfare. I speak about kingdoms clashing. I speak about men with swords. And it can seem cliche, except from my perspective, that is exactly what this has been. I've seen an awful lot of casualties and quite a few men of God that stood their ground in faithfulness. And I watched them succeed. From my perspective, this is a war. From the biblical perspective, from most of the books of the Bible, it is a war. And what I'm telling you is that in our generation... In this church, with the men that he's put in it now, not men who started churches in the past, not men who are leaving in the future, but the people that he has called here and now. Those of you that are called to take your stand in this church, that are called to build it up, to be pillars in the house of God, that he is taking you through a refinement process. And that he is able to use sandpaper when we need it. That he is able to use encouragement when we need it. But what he is doing is shaping you up into a weapon that is useful in the promised land because you've got giants to knock down. You've got giants to knock down for your brother's sake as well as your own. You have giants to knock down for other people to see their dreams and promises succeed. What you're made to do is help other men accomplish their callings as well as your own family. The Transjordan tribes are something that we're all going to work to aspire to in the way that they fought for their brothers. What I want to tell you this morning is that unequivocally, that me, my family, the Fulminata team, or whatever you want to call the people who do the majority of the missions work in the Middle East, we are with you. That we are standing for you. That we believe wholeheartedly and honestly that God is making something great here. And that if we will submit to the way that He is working our lives over and over again, that He will produce something that is mighty, that is powerful, and that you are precious and you are worth working with. And that when we speak about what it takes to turn somebody who's distressed and discontent, there's a bit of a long-term process in this. We are all learning not to see people for what they are today, but for what they can become and be willing to invest in them over years. But you know what? Our God is gracious to us. He hasn't thrown any of us away. And today, 
he's going to cause us to take what we were called for. Let's finish Joshua 14 and we'll keep moving. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive. Say alive with me. Alive. We're going to be alive today. For 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Say, I want to fight. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Say it with me, you are equipped. No matter how long, no matter how hard, you are equipped. No matter what you are going through or where you are at in life, God will equip you. Our purpose is to equip men for what they are called to accomplish. That God is looking to arm you with godly tools. He is looking to arm you with righteousness and with power. With weapons in your left and right hand. That He wants you to have what you need. And if we can throw away the idea that I don't have what I need. That if we quit shrinking back, regardless of what place in your life you are, you will take down giants. Whether 40 or 80. Whether in the desert or whether in fruitful land. We all have a war in front of us. But God says, I will equip a man who asks me. No matter who you are in this room, we need you. God has placed purpose in your heart. He has placed tools in your hands. And if you ask Him, He will give you more. And He will show you how to work where you are at. None of us were called or drafted to this position because we weren't of value. I assure you that if God has brought you here today, it's because He cares enough about you to turn you into something mighty. Whether you're distressed in this moment or not. He values you. The question is, will we follow him as our Lord and commander? We're going to, I'll read to you 2 Chronicles 14, verse 8. If you can throw it on the screen too. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. All these were brave fighting men. Say small shields. shields. Say large shields. shields. Say bows. Bows. Say spears. Spears. All of these men were brave fighting men. See, we are one army. We are the army of the living God in this room. And we have multiple branches. We have men who are made to fight in the Navy. Men who are made to fly planes. Men who are made to move tanks. But all of us. We're in the army of God and either you're brave or you're not. And we stand with those who are brave and are willing to fight for our son of David, for our king, for our Lord of Lords. What is the unifying factor of this church is that we have one mission. We have one king. We have one fight to face. And I assure you, if you were about to be in a physical fight, you would not be picking fights with those who are standing to your left and right. You would not be trying to distance yourself from any brother in this church. You would be wanting to grab hold like arms because you need them. When the revelation sets in that we have small shields, we have large shields, we have men who are in different branches, different stations, but we have one standard, one army, one purpose. Division should fall away because our king is looking to equip all of us. And everyone in this room has the ability to be mighty in the station that he made you for. We have an obligation to give him our all for the calling that he made us for. See, JJ and I live different lives. We have different callings. And yet, I can watch in the fruit of his children that he is giving his all to his family. He's giving his all to his workplace when he's witnessing to people, when he's sharing the gospel with someone at the kitchen table. Regardless of what station in life you are, 80, 40, 20, fivefold ministry, not sure yet, working to grow as a pillar, every man, you are equipped for what God has called you to do. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Say, stand firm, church. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The third principle that 
has personally affected me is that part of my family's life is to teach men to give themselves fully to the work of the Lord so that their labor is not in vain. The King of Kings wants this church in every area that you were called to, whatever that is, to be giving yourself fully. And when you are giving yourself fully to the work that He has called you to, He promises in advance, I will not let that be in vain. Say, He promises. He promises. If you stand firm, you give yourself fully to what He called Patricia to, what He called Carlos to, what He called Timo to, and you don't back off of it, but you give yourself fully to it, God is promising in advance that that effort will not be in vain. See, there are a lot of things in this life that are not sure, that we know nothing about. But when God promises something, when the Word states something as fact, you can bank on it. You can plan on it. No labor that is wholehearted after God will ever be put to shame. See, if we're willing to recognize where we are at and say, I am distressed, I am not quite who I am supposed to be. In fact, I'm actually a miserable failure. And I don't feel like I have what I need. I'm too old. I'm too weak. I'm too whatever it is. But we say, Lord, I'm going to stand firm. And I'm going to give myself fully to you. He will begin to transform your character and make you into something that is mighty. He will begin to equip you and put in your hands and in your family what they need to face this next battle. And in the end, He's promising that labor will not be in vain. Is that a good promise, church? See, our church is involved in combat all over the world. We are working to see people born again and saved, and we are facing real adversity. Whether it's physical persecution in India, whether it's the death of babies, it's the defections of men, we are at war with the kingdom of the air. We are not a kind of church that is interested in having a local fish fry and planting trees. We are the kind of church that is spread out across the nations, and in our local body, and in each of your lives, and in each other's homes. We are not some kind of country club or institution. We are engaged in things that the enemy does not like. But there's a promise for our church. And that's that He will transform us. That He will equip you. And that your labor will not be in vain if you give yourself fully. I've had a few moments in the last few weeks where I've, I've had to break out of a rut. Anybody else in the room? When I think about men like John... I think about a man who I remember was distressed and discontent. And then I watched as he devoted himself to discipleship as a small boy in my home with my parents, with my father for years and years in the way that that began to transform his life and the way that he lives. And I recognize now that he's nothing like the man that he was then. In fact, he's a family man that is a good father, a good husband. That he is a competent manager of businesses that would drown most in the room. And that on a daily basis, he is advancing the gospel through personal discussions, through evangelism. And many of you in the church are here because you have spoken with him. And what's more than that, in some seriously formative years of my life, he worked inside of me and ministered to me. And put up with the difficulty of a teenage child learning to become a man, and I assure you, nothing about that felt particularly rewarding, but I remember that he did it. But church, looking at me and looking at John today, can you say that that labor was not in vain? Was it in vain? See, faithfulness over time, like Mario Clement delivers with his family, is what we are looking for. Whatever God has called you to, if you're willing to go after it with all of your heart, He will equip you for it. If you don't give up, He will make use of it. The grace of God is at our disposal. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 this time. So scan to the last page. Say there when you're there. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. It's worth considering the humility that you see men of God display in the Word versus the things that we see today. Because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. Say, not without effect. effect. 
No, I work harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. See, there's an astounding statement made here. It says, this grace that we possess, it is not ineffectual. It is actually affecting the world around me. This is radically different than the way that we view grace, that we typically think about it. If you say grace, the first thing that pops into most people's mind is, oh, thank you that the grace of God covered what I just did. Yes, the grace of God was there to redeem you, to change you. But the grace of God in Titus teaches us to say no to ungodliness. In Paul's life, it taught him to work harder than all the others. What the grace of God does is it transforms, not covers up. And the grace of God that he is speaking about has the ability to break us out of a rut, to equip us with new tools, to cause us to devote ourselves fully to him. And if we cry out for the grace of God in our lives and strive to set new habits, to pick up new tools and challenge ourselves and to devote ourselves fully, just like Paul, it will produce work that was fruitful all over the world. See, in essence, this is what Moses was longing for. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Say, if you fully obey. If you fully obey. The Lord your God is going to, will set you high above all nations on earth. We were always meant to be a shining example. And what Moses was writing about and trying to teach the people to do, and God had always intended, was that we would fully obey what God had for us and that the blessings that are in Christ, that are in the Word and are in Yahweh, would come upon us. See, but when the grace of God was revealed, that is what changed men's lives and caused them to be able to inherit it. What happened to Paul was that the grace of God appeared to him and it caused him to be able to walk this out, to do what Moses was after, to do what the Lord had always wanted. This is an astounding thing. You saints, you were holding what Moses wrote about. You possess what God wants you to have. You possess what Moses desired, what the ancients were striving after. You possess the grace of God that gives men power over their own unrighteousness and the world around them. Say, I possess it. I possess it. If you possess Christ, you have everything that you need. No matter what the question is, no matter what the problem is, Christ is what we need in our lives. We need the grace of God because it is an overcoming power in our lives. John 16, says, take comfort because I have overcome the world. In Revelation 12, 11, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The grace of God had worked into their life something that was overcoming. Do you want to be overcoming, church? Yes. Do you want to be overcoming? Yes. So we're all agreeing that we don't want to stay where we're at. Amen. So we're going to live today. We're going to be alive. We're going to get up and go up. We're going to be resurrected from wherever we are at and move on in something that is righteous. We're going to go after the kingdom. We're going to go after our callings. This church is only begun to come alive. I want to tell you, the devil has messed with us enough to wake a sleeping giant. I assure you that that arm of God is going to be raised up, that he is forming it, that he is knitting it together, and that what he is going to produce decades from now, when men have been faithful, it'll be a sight to see. In 1 Corinthians, actually, in Acts 2, you don't have to turn there, they see 3,000 saved. Then, by the time that we get to Acts 4, we're dealing with the Sanhedrin, with Pharisees that are being persecuted. By the time that we get to Acts 5, we have people dropping dead in the services. You see in the book of Acts, this progression. And I was, had the opportunity to meet with some Christians that drove an hour to come talk about the Word with Abimbola and I to, yesterday. And we were going through the book of Acts and working through some scriptures that were how they lived. And it occurred to us that after seeing the death of Christ and the resurrection and seeing 3,000 saved, 
that nothing about their life at any point in time got relaxed or got regressed in some way. In fact, it actually got harder and harder and harder. You would think that seeing Christ die would probably be one of the hardest things that you could possibly have happen as a disciple. And yet something of their life as they begin to follow Him, Christ was worked into them. And they went from men who were scared and hiding to men who were seeing thousands set free to men that were back on the run at the cave of Abdullam. You see, this is a cycle that he brings us through again and again and again. But what we have to consistently do is respond to the progressive revelation of God as he builds us up and transforms us. So you have five fantastic years. And then one day you decide that you're just done and you're, because you're a Christian and in a church like ours, you attach a couple of scriptures to it and say that God spoke to you. All right. That you're, you're going to go take a breather. See, what many of you don't know is that I've seen that happen many times where people cease to respond to the progressive revelation, cease to respond to these three convictions as they cycle through their lives. In five or six fantastic years of spirit-filled life, go down the drain. And it's shocking how quickly it happens, actually. Within a few years, people that I loved, that I grew up with, that were like family, that I sat with their children, that I did missions with their children, that are going to swingers parties, that their children are reprobates, that are amounting to nothing in a secular arena or in a spiritual life, that are complete and utter failures. And it only took just a couple years. What we want to remind you in a sobering way is that all of us, whether we've been in the church for 10 years, two years, you've been in the faith for 40 years, you're responsible to the progressive revelation of God that this is not a one and done thing. It's that we must continue to have a relationship with Him where we respond to what He is bringing us through. And that He will intentionally put us through this again and again and again, just like the disciples. And we want to say that we are with you that I want to stand with my family as we all go through this together. And we all have a responsibility to let God retool us as many times as necessary because if He continues to retool something that will not be shaped into what it is made to be, He will throw it in the fire. And He will allow you to see the depravity of your own decisions so that you have an opportunity to recognize what you have done. And we all pray and hope that you get it right before that happens. But I've watched more often than not that doesn't happen. Nobody gets to take a breather. Our God is good to us and He will sustain us in the work. We are not a church that is asking you to do someone else's function. We are a church that is asking you to give your all to your function. And God will teach you and train you through it. And we are going to live and rise even higher together. So in 1 Samuel 22, we have men that are being changed from distressed to mighty men. In Joshua 14, we have men who are equipped no matter what the time, date, or task is. In 1 Corinthians 15, we have men who are giving their lives fully to the Lord and their labor is not in vain. Much like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in a quote that my dad read a couple days ago, that the Christ that we serve, He is so good, He is so worth it, that nothing other than all-out obedience is available. That if He were just another teacher, that we really could get away with just being initiated into a new experience. But what He's calling is for men again and again for you to lay your life on the line. For you to lay everything that you have on your brother's calling, on the men on your left and right's calling. Like Judges 6.14 says, go in the strength that you have. In the midst of being distressed, in the midst of the confusion, to go after what God has called you to. One branch, one army, many branches. One station, one standard, many stations. What we're trying to cultivate is an understanding of where we're at and how to succeed in it.
Do you understand? 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that one, one is going to plant and another is going to water, but they have the same purpose. Do you understand how we work to, in tandem here? And why I need Mario, why I need Brandon, why you need Ibrahim, why we need Tom and Daniel? Because we are called to accomplish the vision of God together. And there is no other way that we're going to succeed. And everyone in this room, we need you to devote yourself fully. Because anything else in the end will be in vain. But there's only one way that he promises we'll succeed. And I intend to take him up on that promise and offer. So I want to tell you how I learned the things that I did. So these three statements that we've gone through from 1 Samuel to Joshua 14 to 1 Corinthians 15... These weren't produced in a vacuum. These are our family's three mezuzah statements. And I learned them from growing up in this ministry. And they each represent the heart of the men that are your leaders. Who in this room has ever sat with Matt in his garage for a couple minutes and been in a rut in... In one of those moments where you're having trouble seeing clearly or getting through your situation and had him help break you out of it. See, he's got a gift for it. He's got a God call for it. But his heart is that his sheep, the king of kings, sons and daughters, would not be stuck in a rut. That they would not be stuck in that distressed, discontent state when they're called to be sons of God and they're called to be mighty. I learned that from him. A man who's made to propel others into his presence. That wherever you are at, he will help propel you into your calling. He will help propel you into something that is righteous when you are burdened. The question that we want to ask today is with a man who has a heart like that for you. Have you slipped into thinking that a church that is a gift from God is really just a burden? Really something that you no longer appreciate and you have worked yourself into a little mental rut that you're having trouble seeing anything else because you've dug your hole so deep. The heart of the Piro family is to take men who are distressed and discontent and break them out of their situation because he cares enough to do it with those of you that no one else cared about. And that's the God's honest truth in cooling my own life. That many of the men who are born again, who are standing strong in this church, that the reason that you ended up in the state you did is because you failed everywhere else. That is what it means to be distressed and discontent for some. We all must come to a place where we realize that whatever your rut is, that we must break out of it. So I want to ask you again. In this room, have you begun to view a gift from God to you? The fivefold ministry were a gift to the church to prepare them for their works of service. Is something that is no longer special? The only answer that we have to that question is if in any area you've begun to view it poorly, if you've begun to have contempt bred, that you take up what Pastor Matthew was always trying to teach you and the Word of God was teaching. And let's break out of a rut today. Because God is able to liberate a man with a fence on his eyes as blinders. In a few minutes, He can set you free with the right discussion, with the right time in His Word and His prayer. If you need to have clear eyes today, start to ask God to give you clear eyes. And I promise, because He loves us as children, He will. What was our second point? Where did it come from? Joshua 14. Pastor Wade, like Caleb, his heart and passion is to equip you, no matter what place in life you're in. No matter what station you're in, no matter how old you are, whether you're trying to figure out how to hold a job and live an adult life, He will care for you. Or if you're later in life with grandchildren, He will care for you. If you're called to fivefold ministry or not called to fivefold ministry, the beating passion of the Sutherlands is to equip God's people for their works of service, no matter where you're at on the spectrum. I learned that from him. I learned from him that the King of Kings is looking to equip every man, woman, and child in this room 
And the Sutherlands, hearts beating passion is for every one of you to be equipped the way that God has called you to be. Because he wants you to win the fights that you were called to, to knock down the giants that are in front of you. So let me ask you, are any of you making this process harder? If they're trying to equip you, are we evading that? Are we thinking that we're so special that we need another way? That the prescription is not, it's just not going to work for me. I'm too unique. Are you making the task of God a burden? When men are trying to equip you, do you see as an attack on your life? Do you see it as an attack when it was meant to arm you with strength, to help you get it right, to teach you how to do it? The solution to this is found in 1 Kings 19. Elijah goes and gets Elisha. And he throws his cloak on him. And he says, you are called of God. And he takes him from his farm. And Elijah requests one thing. He says, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye. Except that's not all that he does. He didn't intend just to go address his family. He goes back and he takes his farm tools. He takes his equipment. He takes his yokes of oxen. And he burns it. You hearing me in the room? That he takes those attachments and he burns them. He burns them. Because when he gave up all of his old ways, all of his own equipment, he burned the attachments to old friends, to old family, to an old way of life. He had no choice but to cling to exactly what Elijah and God was trying to equip him with. See, you're having trouble accepting correction. You're having trouble getting into the kind of spirit and culture of the church that we have. If God has called you here and He has spoken to you that you are supposed to be here, then burn the ships. Cortez was a wicked man, but he was intelligent. When he wanted to conquer a people group, he knew that his soldiers needed to have no return. So he burned his ships that brought him there. What we are saying is that if God has called you here, burn your ships. Leave no escape route. Leave no other tools. Leave nothing in your back pocket. If you are called to take on the tools that God offers through the discipleship in this church, then go after it with everything you have for the purpose that God made you, for the calling that is on Cody's life, for the calling that is on everyone in this room's life. Get the tools that they are trying to equip you with. See, this church is not a one-size-fits-all. There is one standard, and the Word of God is all of our tool, but it fits a little differently in my hands than it does Larissa. And yet, it's equally as effective and devastating. And God will take His Word and put it in her mouth, in her hands, and she will wield it with effective grace that is changing the world around. Burn your ships today. If any degree, over the last three weeks... There's been offense in your heart. You've been taking place in conversations that you should not have. And you know God has called you here right now. Then there is absolutely no reason to hold on to any escape doors. No reason to hold on to previous attachments. Burn your ships. What was our third conviction? Come on, this is LCM and DCD. What was our third conviction? The beating heart of my father is to train men to do what they were called to accomplish. To take that life-transforming power of God in the equipping that they have received and teach them how to do ministry with it. To teach them how to operate in it. I learned that from him. The beating heart of the Stevens is for you to be trained and skillful in your work. Whatever it is your work is. Whether your work is to go to some foreign jungle, or it's for you to lead a godly life, manage a business well. The Stevens beating heart is for you to give yourself fully, to stand firm, and for your effort not to be in vain. See, if the pastors in this church are pushing you, it's because they see you like a son or a daughter. That a son or a daughter. Which one of you looks at your children and decides that one doesn't have value or one is better than the other? The fathers in this church see value in every child that is here. And if they're pushing you, it's because they know what you can become. 
It's because they know what a mighty man looks like. And they know what someone who is distressed and feels like they have no value or no worth can become if they're willing to try. God will take young men like this on this back row and He will set the world on fire with them if they give them His whole heart. The Stevens beating passion is for you to be well trained, to be fully devoted, and for your life's work to actually be of value at the end. See, because if everything else gets done, but we don't devote ourselves fully and it was in vain, then what is the point? Our heart and the foundation that we have is to make sure that you actually succeed in what He called you to and you're not ashamed when you stand before Him on that day. See, this is an area where the foundation that I have is of benefit. I have watched the pastors give themselves fully, without exception. The standard that was raised in my life is that you give yourself fully, without exception. One, because the Lord deserves it, and the other is because they need it. So I want to ask you today, are you making exceptions in areas where you are not giving yourself fully? And you know that you're not, but you're finding reasons for it. I'm not saying that you need to do what someone else in this church does, or that we're having the strange crossfire thing again. I'm saying what you know God has called you to. Are you giving yourself fully to it, or are you making exceptions for it? I know in my own life I make exceptions, and if you think about it right now, we all have an area where we're going to get it right today. Because when we give ourselves fully... Our labor is no longer in vain. I want to consider one more scripture with you. And then we will start to move to a unified, powerful, victorious close in worship with each other. In Luke 9, verse 61... Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. So far, so good. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The man's second statement invalidated the first. He wished to place conditions on his obedience as if the call of the Son of God was some cheap flea market deal. Deny yourself and then you can pick up your cross. We cannot both claim that we... Or devoted to discipleship. We cannot both claim that we are devoted to the church or we are devoted to what it is we are called to, but be negotiating with God and saying, but wait first. The man's second statement invalidated his first statement. When we say give yourself fully, we mean give yourself fully. And I say this as a whole for the pastoral staff, but specifically for the Stevens. There are no exceptions. This is an area where I have benefited from that standard in my life. And I'm not going to tell you that I get it right all of the time. But when we recognize an area that we are still living in a distressed and debted state, we cannot stay that way because we work with the King of Kings. Because we are with that Son of David. Because we are with a God who is able to equip us. He is so good to us and He wishes to empower every one of you. We have to honestly consider where we are really at so that we can be made into what we really need to be. So in this moment, I want you to take sober judgment about where are you making exceptions? Are you comparing your function to someone else when God was never after you living the same function as them, but you being fully devoted? Are you finding other things to fill your time instead of being equipped for what God has called you to? Because I assure you, our giants are not going to get smaller. They're getting larger. In this room, where do you need to be? To be made into the mighty man that he called you to be. See, whether you're 40, 80, born again two years, or you were born again growing up in a ministry, every one of us, hear me, every one of us as a family right now, we're going to respond to the transforming power of God and we're going to come alive again in a whole new way. We're going to read one other scripture and then afterwards we're going to stand together. And we're going to worship. And listen, we do altar ministry here all of the time. If you have an area that you know God is striking your heart about, I want you to repent. God wants you to repent. But more than repentance, more than just feeling bad or beating on anyone in this church, what we want is for you to succeed. What we want is for you to stand here. Whether you got it right at the altar or you got it right with somebody you should have talked to in the congregation. That when we walk out of this room, 
we all know that our mighty God is making us into something mighty. That He is arming us with something better than what we have today. And that in this life, we are going to be fully alive and fully devoted to Him because He wants to grant us victory. So give yourself a moment for sober reflection about where we are and where He wants you to go. Because I know that He's calling beautiful thing out of Keith Phillips' life. I'm watching Him blossom again and again. I'm watching Him call amazing things out of Assad's life. He will put us through this mill until we become those precious jewels. This is like changing ministries. Not changed. Changing. We are going to transform as one people group. Those three convictions represent the pastors that God called you to be ministered to by. They have affected my life so deeply that they are the three mission statements for my household. With those three things, consider where you need to be working them into your own life. Where you need to be applying them to the people that you're ministering to. Where you have stagnated the growth in your life and need to open that well back up. Let's take a look at 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20. I'm going to read it. David also said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Say it with me, church. We're going to be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. Say, He's with me. In this room, God has not abandoned or forsaken any of you. He is telling you today, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Paul even says, we should not view ourselves more highly than we should, or less. We should view ourselves with sober judgment. So what we're calling for in this body is sober judgment in this moment, so that we can become alive like we were truly made to be. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God. And every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. Do you guys remember what was taught about this? Willing and skilled. Say willing and skilled. God is going to take willing hearts in this room and He's going to make you skilled. He's going to make you skilled. He's going to make us skilled for the task that is at hand. We're going to begin to pray. And my personal prayer is that in my life and in my family's life that I've grown up with, that I know, that I love, is that God would both soften our hearts and make it willing in the areas that we've been stiff-arming Him. And that He would equip us and make us skilled in the areas that we've been lacking. So I assure you, on a regular basis, when I lay my heart bare before Him, there's never a time that is perfectly clean. There's never a time I'm not realizing an area that I've been failing in. But what it makes life changing, transforming, living power is that we are never through with this process and that when we realize that we have an area that we must fix, that we make up our minds we're fixing it today. Amen. Not next week, not tomorrow, not later. Today is the day. I hear the call of God and I'm leaving my tax collector booth. I hear the call of God and I'm leaving my nets. Where is the voice of God calling you today? Because He's calling every one of you to deeper waters. How is it that you're going to respond to it? Are you going to let the call of Christ pass you by? Or are you going to take your stand and say, I want Jesus? Because every man in this room is going to have to say, I want Jesus over and over again to remain in Him. We must remain in this vine because this vine is life. This vine is fruitful and it will make you fruitful. Jesus has called you to an abundant life. Not just life. He's called you to be alive and living. He called you to be full of life and vigor. Not surviving. We're done surviving. We're going to thrive. Because every family in this church is valuable enough to the King of Kings and to the three families that are here that we're willing to fight for you. And those of you who are looking on the outside about who we are, I tell you, you'll never find people that are more messed up than us and more devoted to each other in the Lord. And I've traveled all around the world. We are filled with our own flaws. But what has built this church and has knit us together since the beginning is that the Word of God is our standard 
And I, we will not leave our brother's side. That we will stand as loyal brothers. And that we will fight to see the kingdom of God advanced in each other's lives as well as the world around us. That JJ's calling is just as important as mine. That Rob's calling is just as important as mine. And every time that God confronts us with the wickedness of our own heart, we repent and repent immediately. It keeps us correctable. It's the reason that He's able to shape us. So in your own life, how are you going to answer the call of God when we stand to our feet? Don't let Jesus pass you by today. Don't let Christ Himself pass you by. Choose to take hold of what He is offering because it is wonderful. Stand to your feet.